I don't have any literary based puns lined up. I think we didn't do one last week, so I think you're off the hook too. <laughs> okay. Um, cool, I'm going to give you a countdown and you can jump in. Three, two, one, go. Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of Elite Rugby Banter. Uh, I'm your host tonight, Ant, and as usual, we are joined by the usual crew. Andrew is coming from the felt deep of the bush. He's found an internet connection. Full has jumped on a seven-hour train just to make the recording, so we're very blessed by everyone's presence. I've managed to survive the storm. Um, half of Cape Town and the Western and Eastern Cape in general has been washed away. I think the weather um, is took, took it very personally, that Irish result, um, but we'll jump into that a little bit later. But Full, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. I'm just returned to France after a week away in Germany, ready to watch some more rugby. Um, other than that really disappointing Springbok, uh, not so much the performance as the result, I would say, but we'll, as you say, we'll get more into it. But yeah, enjoying good weather here in the south of France, unlike what I hear Cape Town is going through, so trying to make the most of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's genuinely horrific here. I don't think... I mean, I, we had 50 hours of like sideways rain in a row. <laughs> I've never experienced anything like that before. But I hear that that is you know, pretty, pretty light, light work for England. So it does make me be thankful that this is a wonderful opportunity. Um, were you tasting a lot of the beer down there in Munich? It's a ton of compared to Asahi. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. A lot of uh, Oktoberfest beer, you know, specially made or specially brewed for that time of the year. Um, some of it felt a little bit strong, um, but definitely tried a lot of different beers and happy to carry on drinking in France as well. That's fair enough. Andrew, what's the beer supply like up, up there, uh, deep in the bush where you are? Uh, luckily, I'm in Skuku's Rest Camp, so there's a pretty fully stocked shop. So uh, we did bought some Castle Lights and Black Labels, so pretty much standard selection. But uh, enjoying it with a, a bush sunset always makes it just uh, that much sweeter. That, that's fair enough. I assume you're, you're keeping dry and mostly windless up there. Uh, yeah, I think even if you had a full-on shower, if you went outside for two minutes, you'd be dry. It's like 38 degrees in the low felt right now. So, uh, well, not right now. It's at least after dark. It's cooled down to like a mild 23 now. But uh, it's been sweltering here. So, yeah, you got to get your game drives in early and then have a kip in the afternoon and get out for the sundowners. And that's pretty much been the routine for a few days. Hard work. Well, I'm glad to know that at least summer has hit some parts of South Africa. Um, definitely doesn't feel like it down here on the coast. <laughs> glad, glad someone's making the most of it. Um, we've got a lot to cover. I expect um, particularly two of the results this weekend are going to have very long talking points. Um, so I'm not going to bandy about the bush too much. Um, and we'll jump straight into it. Uh, a lot of games played since the last um, time we spoke. It feels like it's been a month worth of rugby which is quite a treat but the first up game um italy uruguay italy were i'm mean, obviously the favorites going into this but squidge has been talking up a good game from uruguay and they definitely brought that to the table going in um at half time comfortably in the lead 17-7 only for i don't know probably a very angry italian uh, halftime talk one can imagine for uruguay to be left scoreless in the second half and italy just running away with it eventually coming out 38-17 victors there um 
yeah, I'm not sure how much there is to make of this apart from Uruguay just didn't quite didn't quite pull through in the second half. So, do you have anything to to kind of break down? Yeah, I think Italy have been one of those weird teams that we we've been hyping up a little in terms of knowing that when they turn it on, they can be one of the most exciting teams. You know, with their backs, with Garbisi, Capuazzo, some of those guys. And in the first half, it really looked like they were struggling, and Uruguay were you know at halftime, like you say, up so looking good for an upset but then that blitz just after halftime was what we know Italy can do and if they produce a performance like that if they can get 80 minutes similar to that then they could hopefully you know make one of the last two games interesting <laughs> but uh not sure if they will yeah I mean it's a, a very big call obviously then facing up to New Zealand this weekend <laughs> um I don't quite know if Italy can do it but look realistically well, maybe realistically is the wrong word. Mathematically, uh, <laughs> an Italy-Scotland quarterfinal is still possible, um, which is quite exciting, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I still don't think I saw enough from Italy to really be worrying New Zealand. But then again, we also don't really know who New Zealand are at the moment, so it's all very interesting. Um, this has been a strange World Cup, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, deep down. But Andrew, is there anything you want to add from this game? Oh, it's just that Italy have yeah, failed to sort of light up in these these games like we hoped they would have. Just feel, like Phil said, they've got exciting players. They've been playing some exciting club rugby in URC and I've definitely been guilty of hyping them up and, and they've not just they've just not really pitched up the way we'd like them to at this World Cup, but they've got one more chance. And as you say, it's still a shot at the at the knockout. So yeah, I'll be cheering them on for sure. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, cool. I think we can we can jump on swiftly there onto France and Namibia. Hey, um, biggest World Cup win for France ever. Uh, biggest win at this World Cup. Um, surpassing both the, the big South African and then Irish wins of Romania. 96 mil, but it came at a cost. Uh, Antoine Pond obviously getting that cheek fracture. Reports about his injury have been very, very mixed. That apparently he might be able to be back uh, in time quarterfinals if he wears a handle like mask. No one really knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, 96 mil is a pretty, pretty one-sided affair. What do you guys make of that? Uh, yeah, it was interesting that that France went full strength for this game in the first in the first instance. I think we we'd said on the pod last week uh, we weren't sure how the French were going to play this because it's it's basically a guaranteed five points for them. But their coaches come out and said they needed to play game time together as a unit, and that always comes with the risk of when you, you play rugby you risk injuries. So if Dupont is out for any any significant amount of time, even one knockout game, uh, could have a big effect on the tournament as a whole and France's chances. So, yeah, it, it, it could have come at a serious cost. We'll see in the coming weeks whether or not that plays out. Uh, it's, uh, at least the cheekbone is not a is not a hamstring or bicep or something more more practical in rugby terms. But I mean, absolute mauling. Um, I've been having a healthy lead in the fantasy rugby, but then. Uh, bunch of people triple captain damian peno i see phil smirking because he was one of them and uh, that's that's cut my lead substantially so 
<laughs> and you as well, man. You've still got a very, you've still got a very yeah. comfortable two hundred point lead. I think you're okay. Um, but it is nice <laughs> to see the, the the three podcast gents topping the table. Um, so, you know, the debate is whether it's any kind of rugby knowledge or just the lack of kids, um, which is paying off for us. But you know, we we were going to try and attribute it to former. I think for me that hurt. game it was it was a very different kind of stomping than the South Africa Romania game, say, where when we played Romania, it, we kind of it just felt like a training run. Like we just walked through them really. We were just you know, they couldn't tackle us. Like, you know, you could do one switch, one step, and you're through. Whereas the French had to work quite hard for their tries generally, I felt. But their skill level and execution was just insane. You know, like the the this type of bullshit stuff they were pulling off to create their scores. You know, that would work on any team, really. Like that DuPont in the tackle cross kick to um, the baby, baby Villiers, because I don't know, actually know how to pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, baby. That was, just, that was just nonsense. Like, why are you pulling off that, pulling out that shit against Namibia? Like, that's just not fair. Yeah. Um, so it was a, it really was a, kind of disgustingly good performance from France in, in a way that the Irish and the South African performances weren't. It was really France were just a level up rather than um, never being particularly poor in my, my feeling. Um, I don't know if you guys kind of felt similarly. Yeah, I think so. Um, they sort of put down a statement and if it wasn't for that Dupont injury, I think they would have been really happy with the outcome and the performance and just coming out of that building confidence, you know, Pinot looks odds on to be the top try scorer of the World Cup if he carries, if he just gets a few more tries. And yeah, for Namibia, I think they did rest most of their first line players with an eye on their next match against Uruguay. So that also contributes to, you know, the scoreline. But at the same time, like you say, France were really good. And I think there was one moment, um, the red card where Dazel you know, obviously did injure DuPont, but like they scored from that and they obviously had to come back and look at the high tackle. That would have been an amazing moment for them if that try had been given. <laughs> but uh, also but then, the the complication from that is now Dazel suspended or should be suspended for the next, uh, for their last two games or their last game against Uruguay. So losing their captain against or their most winnable match sort of sucks for them. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... Uh... Was that was my most frustrating thing? Is that like if you're gonna do a stupid red card, at least wait until um, you know it's not your try scoring move. Yeah, like they they, they did time that terribly. I mean, yeah, obviously not that there was any intent. Um, but it's been very interesting seeing. You know, I mean, it was sad. Maybe is the better word. Like the personal abuse that uh, Daisel was getting. Um, like for again, what's obviously far more accidental than anything Farrell did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, are, are we just to change the topic slightly? I mean, are we? Is this France back in contention? Because after a sort of shakyish win against the All Blacks and an unconvincing win in their second game with a sort of B plus side, we were all a little bit worried about which France had pitched up to the World Cup, like. Is this just the French standard from now on? Have they played their, their one game where everything clicks? Because France can do that sometimes and then just have like a completely haphazard game to follow up. Like, What's our prediction for the rest of the tournament for France? Well, as I, I said, Italy are, gonna beat, Italy are going to beat them and then 
it's going to just be very interesting all around. <laughs> then Italy, sorry, no, Italy, never mind. Italy going to beat New Zealand. <laughs> Make up your mind, Dad. Italy going to beat New Zealand. We're going to have a, 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 an Italy Scotland uh, semi final, quarter final, and that's just going to be fun. <laughs> Phil's going to say um, anything all the way. France. Yeah. Well, they can't because we're going to have to play them in the quarterfinals. So they can't go. They're going to have to lose to us in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Well, wasn't that your, your prediction at the beginning that France would go all the way? Uh, France and South Africa in the final because I was thinking and hoping that South Africa were going to beat Ireland. <laughs> so I got the France New Zealand result correct. But, uh, well, obviously. If, if the um, Scotland Italy quarterfinal materializes, wait, hold on. No, it's got yes. Scotland. Scotland can come through the pool in second. Then they we can still top, so we can still play France in the final. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Come on, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, we will go through the maths of all that later um, as we break down the South African game. Um, but it's yeah, mathematically possible for us to still top the pool as it is for Fiji, which is exciting. Um, which we'll get to shortly. Yeah, so I don't think there's too much more to say about France. Obviously, it was fantasy gold if you had a couple of other players and they were just dominant. Um, next game, Argentina-Samoa. Um, if you didn't watch this one and chose the other things to do Friday night, you're probably happy in hindsight. Um, sorry, someone's busy arranging a fridge there, sounds like. Um, yeah, this was not not a this was not a great game. I think both these teams came into the World Cup. I think Argentina with quite a bit of optimism and with Samoa's results against Ireland pushing them quite close and a couple of you know their ex All Black coming back for them. There was optimism around them as well. But sure, that was that was a hard watch um, for two different reasons. One, the tackles were incredibly physical, so it was physically hard to watch. Um, but also, just so many mistakes. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was hard going. I don't think either of those teams are going to make it too far based on current form. Um, but Fairly continues to show these world class, and I think he's probably about the only player that could leave that field really positive, like positive about his play. Um, yeah, it just wasn't it wasn't a great show of rugby. What did you guys feel of it? Yeah, I think yeah. Um, Samoa. Mostly disappointing. I think Argentina happy to come away with the win in that game, even though there's a lot to be improved upon. But especially after losing to England, I think just happy to take the victory there. Um, for Samoa, like you said, expecting better after a good performance against Ireland and also a relatively decent one against um, Chile. So they still have a big game against Japan, but uh, it's looking unlikely that they'll be able to make it out now of the group. Yeah, I mean, my a lot of my my pre pre competition predictions are turning false. Um, my my Fiji Samoa quarterfinal, which I was really hoping for, is obviously dashed in tatters. Um, but yeah, it was. I think as I said, for me, it's more just disappointing that the quality of play. Like, you know, we were hoping to that these extra players were going to make a difference for Samoa, and it just hasn't really been the case. Um, but yeah, I think for me, also just seeing Argentina be so poor, like, it's not great. But it was exciting to see Nicolas Sanchez make his return. And, you know, people were kind of bigging up his contribution or World Rugby account, which really do post some strange things. You know, saying, come at the man, come at the hour, kicking a, a penalty to go, you know, nine points ahead. It was like, well, I mean, they were fairly comfortably ahead. 
Um, it was interesting seeing him taking the long range kick instead of the fairly, which has always been the fairly's bread and butter. Um, so yeah, do you think do you think with the return of Sanchez suddenly we might see a different version of Argentina or it's just too I late? Know, we, I think all of us here have been sort of unimpressed by Carreras. He has like these flashes of really good play, but overall I think he's the been the weakest link in that chain. And uh, but in a more general sense, like Argentina have come into this tournament with some really good performances that that had us all hopeful again of a, a really hot Southern Hemisphere team to get behind. And again, like just like Italy, they haven't really pitched up in the way we would have liked them to. And Samoa similarly like showed flashes of, of their potential and then regressed again. So yeah, it's been it's been frustrating to see these two teams. But I, as as Phil said, I think they'll be just happy for the win. And I just worry after after losing that massively hyped first game against England, um, have they just lost their hunger for this tournament? That's uh, something I think you've got to ask. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always that emotional element when Argentina are playing because you, you know, they they do based so much of their game plan around just being super hyped up. Um, I mean, you know, that's kind of why we thought that that uh, the presence of Checker would be good for them, but yeah, you know, maybe maybe that was also a bit overhyped. Um, it's just disappointing, yeah. I mean, it's, I suppose it was the South Africa, Australia, which we'll get to, uh, New Zealand, none of us having our best tournament so far. Um, you know, it's, it's sad when all of the Southern Hemisphere teams are currently not <laughs> topping their pools. Um, yeah, people are saying it's kind of the first time there's ever been only Northern Hemisphere teams at the top of their pools, which is quite worrying. Um, anyway, here's what it is. Uh, and you know, just to round up, I thought you know New Zealand losing their first ever pool game, Australia getting knocked out in the pools for the first time ever, uh, which just leaves South Africa, uh, France, and New Zealand. I think as the only three teams to never not get out the pool, as it stands. Um, I think that's. Fair to say that it should stay that way. Um, the other three are looking fairly comfortable, but yeah, um, we can probably move on to the Argentina Samoa game. And this is any final thoughts there before we get into the actual exciting results. Let's move on. Cool. Next game, the tier two favorite, probably um, Portugal, Georgia. Um, yeah, I mean, Portugal obviously came in off the, that really strong performance against Wales, um, where they think they surprised a lot of teams, including Wales. Um, and Georgia, you know, maybe off a weakish result against Australia. Uh, but, yo, Portugal coming out firing. They were leading going into the final couple of minutes, and it, only it really required a, a Georgia right at the end just to pull level, missing the conversion, only for... Portugal to also get a penalty kick to go for the win. And, you know, it's probably, in all fairness, a draw um, is the fair result. But, Joe, sure, hugely exciting and great to see a team <clears throat> that no one really was expecting much of delivering two really strong performances back-to-back now. Is this uh, fi- going to be the final nail on Eddie Jones's coffin and the biggest glory day for Portugal, uh, a win against Australia? <laughs> I, I think we are, yeah, reaching a little perhaps, but you never know with that Australian performance. Perhaps I'm the one who's being a bit short-sighted. Um, Portugal. Look, I, I, what I'm going to say is Portugal <laughs> lost by less to Wales than Australia did. 
This is true, exactly. I mean, that was, we'll, we'll get into that game, but Portugal have looked better than I thought they would. Um, you know, getting a draw against George is no mean accomplishment. Um, they, yeah, they did really well. And Georgia, I think, would be hugely disappointed. They're still hoping, you know, they still have to play Wales, I think, who they beat, as we know, last year. So this draw really, uh, yeah, is an underperformance for them. But like you said, it was a really good game between two teams who we don't really get to see as much of. So really nice to see some of their players like uh, just score some nice tries and a game like this really helps the T2 development. Yeah, that, that wing of theirs was on fire. <laughs> yeah, we, we always said that this pool, uh, we always said that this pool is uh, going to be the most difficult pool to predict, and it's just turned out to be way more topsy turvy than any of us actually had thought it would be. Uh, just the, the relative performances versus our expectations. I think just throwing those out the window. Um, uh, Australia just capitulating. Um, and Georgia, like like Phil says, like Georgia, it's no mean feat to beat to to beat them or draw with them. They're a, a proud team and a fierce team and and a good rugby team. I mean they've they've put in some really good performances in recent times, beaten some good good first tier nations. Although we'll, we'll always have that debate with with Ben about whether Wales deserve to be tier one. I think Ant's probably now team Ben. <laughs> I, I've always been team Ben on this issue. <laughs> So you know that's that's a great I mean that's a great result for Portugal and to be honest probably exceeds their expectations their realistic expectations for the entire tournament. That's a result that goes down in their history and good for them. Uh, it's thrown that pool into just complete disarray. Uh, yeah, good good for rugby and and a, and a fun game to watch as a neutral. Yeah, no, I I was very much enjoyed that. Um... Just as you say, as a neutral, didn't didn't really have any invested um, investment in the game. A game that I didn't particularly enjoy watching though um, was the England Chile game. Um, England scoring more tries in this match than I think they have probably in the last ten years, maybe five years. Um, that's very much that's very much a thumb sucked stat, but I mean it's probably not too far off. <laughs> uh, England absolutely shredding uh, Chile seventy one nil. Henry Arundel getting five tries. Marcus Smith, well, we'll chat about him in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, fairly, fairly walk, walkabout for, for England, I think, for, at stages. I think they, they kind of took their time to get into it and then just really, really ran away with it. Um, Phil, as our you know, in, in-house English fan, were you very happy with that performance or was it just, uh, it doesn't really mean much uh, against a, a light opponent? Um, I think a bit of both, but I, I, yeah, I was very happy with the performance, but I don't think that it's reflective of what we'll probably see from them against better teams. So they have players, uh, guys like Arundel, Marcus Smith, you know, that are able to open up and play more freely and look more exciting. But at the same time, in a game against Wales in a quarterfinal or against a team like that, that's not going to come out as much. And we know that. So it's going to be back to the you know, more of the usual and less of the exciting stuff that we've seen from England. So, yeah, I was happy. I, I, I think as a neutral, you would have been excited by some of the tries that England scored, hopefully, that I, and I know that you're not a neutral in this. So, 
yeah, some very <laughs> some some very exciting tries. Um, as mentioned, Damien Pinot might get top try scorer, but Arundel's obviously leading the way just after this one game. Sometimes five is enough <laughs> to get. I think Adams, Josh Adams, only got like six the whole last tournament, so he's almost yeah. there. Um, yeah, uh, but as an England fan, definitely happy with it. But like I said, uh, still not not getting excited about anything further down the line. Uh, Andrew, do you think England fans should get excited about Marcus Smith at fullback? Is he the answer? Is he the key to unlocking the South African defence? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, and I don't think he'll be back there anyway. I think he, he and Arundel have played you know, the, the lesser games and they're not going to get backed in the bigger games, as Phil said, and they're not going to back the same game plan that they've had now. Um, uh, I mean, as a, I want to say as a neutral fan, it was disappointing not to see Chile put up more of a fight. Um, but again, I'm also not a neutral fan. I'm an anti-England fan. So it was doubly disappointing not seeing Chile put up a better fight. But you have to say that, um, you know, despite playing less opposition, England did outperform against ex- expectations and form. And we said that both both Borthwick and Eddie Jones had the chance in these weaker pools to play themselves into form. And maybe this is what England needed. I don't know. We'll We'll see how... How much they now pick on form going forward, or they go back to the the tried and tested and failed game plan. Well, I mean, successful so far in the tournament, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, that the, the comment that I was making about Smith was, was not completely tongue in cheek. There are journalists out there saying that 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 he needs to be back to fullback now to show that England can be an attacking team, which is obviously just bizarre. I mean, it's just like you know. Those are the types of comments that make people dislike Smith. <laughs> Shame, and it's completely not his fault. But people but, just uh, are continually trying to force the Messiah uh, yeah. label onto him. But Ant, if you had to put your English coaching hat on, um, would you pick George Ford at 10 and Farrell on the bench or Farrell at 12? What would be your plan? I definitely wouldn't go 10-12 Farrell Ford. I would go with Ford. But for the same reason that I would go for Marnie Labok in the quarterfinal. He's been playing for the tournament. He's got the sets of results under the bag for the most part. Um, you know, and then you can have the, the, the Pollard or the Farrell in the backup seat um, if there's an injury or if they don't deliver in the quarterfinal to the extent you want them to. I think Ford is, I mean, he's in a slightly different situation with him, whereas Ford's you know, proven over many, many years that he is a more than capable player at this level, whereas Marnie's obviously still trying to stamp his mark. Um, and there's obviously the complication that Farrell's the captain, but I don't think the 10-12 works. And I don't think uh, Tulagi's a 13, I think he's a 12. And so like, I think it just messes up too many players' uh, positions and stuff if you try and force that together. Fair comment. Yeah, I mean, especially with the way that they're playing at the moment, which is a more kind of technical kicking game. You don't need dual playmakers because you're not playmaking. Uh, so I don't think I don't think there's any benefit to moving away from it apart from just trying to squeeze to them both in their team. And if they're not willing to do just uh, foul the bench, then let's just start them at ten. Don't try and don't try and squeeze them both. In, in my opinion, maybe we will we will see Marcus Smith at fifteen and then Freddie Stewart on the wing. Let's see. Let's see. God, no, that would be a stupid idea. <laughs> oh, wow. Why would you play a fullback out of position on a wing just to accommodate a fly off a fullback? I mean, it's something <laughs> I could see Eddie. It's something I would see Eddie Jones doing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> which is which is as much of an indictment as you need. 
I mean, anyone on the way can't be that much worse than Bunivalu, but yes, carry on, please. Right, yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, we'll get there. We're going to save a fair amount of time for a, for a full um, deep dive into Australian everything. Okay, maybe we'll just have a special episode with Mitch and we can bring him on as well. A uh, little <laughs> midweek episode just to deep dive into Australian issues. But um, before we get there, the next game on the day uh, was South Africa Island. Um, Oh well, yeah. Well, we we can touch on on whether we think Australia, England, South Africa should be worried by Ireland uh, crisis. We can touch on whether we think South Africa should be worried worried by England in a semi final uh, after we then kind of discuss the start of this, this result. But South Africa losing um, to Ireland in you know, I would say a tougher, more brutal, more World Cup finally type match than the France New Zealand game. Um, it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. South Africa looking really, really sharp those first 20 minutes. Um, kind of looking as good as we did in the first 20 minutes against the All Blacks a couple of weeks ago. Only for us to go into the halftime just behind, which frankly didn't surprise me, but had me a little bit worried. Um, and then from there, yeah, we just didn't really score again until, uh, you know, we squeaked over the Colby try. Um, and Ireland just kind of did enough. What do we make of that? Where do we stand? Are South Africa in trouble? Are we falling apart? Did Ireland play all their cards? Are we holding stuff back? You know, is Rassi still the the messiah we need to take us to the second glory with his disco lights? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it was a really weird game, I think, because there was so much positive to take. I was pleased with a lot of what I saw from, from us and, and what we did. You know whether it was in the lineouts or the physicality. I think so, like the number of big hits and the number of dominating tackles. Um, and then there were some poor things like uh, just get not getting enough turnovers and the breakdown in in general, like losing the ball too much. So I thought we did enough to win, just generally. Uh, we left a lot of points out there, not just from the kicking tee, but from opportunities which. On the day, on another day, it could have easily been an, a try. So, it's not one of those really disappointing performances where the performance just wasn't there at all. Um, those are always the worst ones. But of course, the performance is deflating, and losing a game which you hope to win sucks. But at the same time, this is our, you know, this is our get out of jail free card. We just have to win the rest of the games in the tournament, and we'll retain the world championship. So. Yeah, I'm not too upset, but at the st- at the same time, I was still obviously really, really hoping to win. So just on that one comment you made, saying you know, on another day we finished those chances. You know, the South Africans have not been clinical the last two, three yeah. years. Andrew, do you think that like this is a st- systemic issue uh, that we fundamentally need to solve, or do you think it's just kind of part of the game plan that we need to work around? It's, I mean, number one, it's just frustrating because I, I do feel like we were the better team on the day and the Springboks just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, left 11 points out on the field from the kicking tee and a couple of kickable chances turned down. Um, this inability to uh, capitalize on dominance is a theme that's been coming up over and over again. And as you say, we're missing that clinicality in the in, in those situations and it does 
bring me back to you know was as, as good as Damien Willemso was on the day like would Willi have made enough of a difference to translate those chances into points is that giving Willi too much credit um you know again I don't want to take anything away from Damien Willemso because he did you know, have an all-around really convincing good game um but he doesn't offer that same skill set that Willi does uh, so but it's the same. This that's the same thing we saw in the um, uh, in the New Zealand game, which Billy really also didn't play. So I'm yeah. not saying it's you know um, exactly like Billy versus with Damien some Damien like a defensive setup but, or attacking setup. Like, but the two games where we have been incredibly forward dominant, the first 20 minutes, and which are the same two games where we haven't scored any points, and they're the same two games where we haven't had Billy on the field. Um, you know, is that is it fair to put it down to Vid Damien because he does so much other good work, and I think it is really important to note that. But you know, and and with Vili, we probably lose a fair bit as well in terms of physicality and defence and maybe work rate things like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's it is worrying not being able to convert any of that points. Yeah, but for some reason though, I'm I'm still like optimistic about if if we're in a, a really crunch game like Phil says this was our get out of jail free like we didn't have to win this to go through um I'm still optimistic that in a in a really big game we will do it when it counts um I don't know why I have that optimism because <laughs> uh Marnie's not given us massive confidence in, in his kicking and it hasn't it hasn't really gotten much better there was the one game where he slugged five out of five against New Zealand but he just seems to you know regress immediately and that's not you know showing a change of skill it's just like a an anomaly then when he gets it right uh he's got a yeah, long... just like a really good kicker can have a bad day one day a good bad that's kicker it. can have a good day one day <laughs> that's yeah i yeah, know exactly um so it is i mean it's a massive chink in our armor and i think we also the high ball didn't didn't go well either. Um, there were a couple of like fantastic takes that stood out from from Cheslin and another one from Damien Willemser, but um, still a few forced and Kurtley Aronser. But there were those were also matched by like unforced errors and turnovers and uh, him getting the ball back. So I do think you know good teams will will target those things and will know that they have a little bit of a buffer because we can't knock our kicks over. And it's a real problem. Um, I won't be surprised to see Andre Pollard at least on the bench next week. He probably was already in for uh, for some game time um, against Tonga, but he he looks to have a role to play in this World Cup yet. <laughs> I, I I it's I mean it's interesting the the if we want to open the Pollard Lebok debate now. Um, obviously Lebok. I think in general played pretty well and has been playing really well for this box. Um, but for me, if we look at it, like he did do a lot of cool, nice passing stuff in this game, but it didn't lead to any line breaks. It didn't lead to any massive meters. It didn't lead to any tries. You know, a lot of the big open field breaks were down to, you know, futz kicks or some other things. So despite him playing well and us, our attack looking fluid and lovely, if it's not actually getting us anywhere, should we just kind of can it, put Pollard in, play a possession, a territory-based game? You know, is is it worth just giving giving Pollard 80 minutes against Tonga, checking that he's 100% ready, and then just reverting to type? 
I, I would be tempted to say yes if Ballard comes through 80 minutes, nails his kicks. I mean, that's not a given. He's, you know, he's not, and he doesn't always nail all of his kicks. But um, one of the things I think, and I was still surprised that Vili wasn't even on the bench in this game. But I think if we are in a position where we have, where we play Pollard, like we have to have Vili at 15 because Vili, even with Lebok and whoever else, we know that he he adds so much from a creative point of view. And I think we do lose, lose something in Pollard compared to money in, uh, from that creativity. But like you said, Ant, nothing actually was in terms of uh, proper chances created by Lebok. So having Pollard 10, Billy 15 is what won us the World Cup. Um, and maybe even someone like Dwayne also coming back into the equation is what we might revert to just because we know it works. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was con- surprised by the 7-1. I don't know if we need 7-1. I think 6-2 with Vili on the bench is a much better balance. Like, I don't think we get significantly more forward dominance uh, by going 6-2. Um, sorry, by going 7-1 and 6-2. So, yeah, for me, I don't think that's hugely necessary. Um, uh, but if you start Dwayne, then maybe you need to do that, because I don't know if I see Dwayne going 80. Mm, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, but, I think 6-2 still works. Um, if you've got Dwayne and you have, uh, say, Quacha and Van Staden on the bench, and... Uh, only one lock, um, then. No, you need yeah, to one lock. Yeah, one we do have fantastic the, 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 but it is a luxury. No, but the, the clan's name on Axis just works so well. You saw when they came on with Ox, I mean, they just added a level to the scrum. Um, more Ox so than great. I thought. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I think, I, I mean, obviously, after the three front rows, and I think, like at the last World Cup, you know, we went two, two locks, one Lucy, and I think that's the way to do it because the locks are the ones that are doing the grunt work and the power. I think... Well, you know, Peter Steff is obviously going to go 80. Um, and the question is, can can Khaleesi or Visa or Dwayne go 80? And that's that's a, a bigger question mark for sure. But I think yeah. that's what we should be trying to do. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Sia, I think, can go can go 80. He's, he's been playing enough since his injury now that he could he could be our guy to go 80. Uh, and with someone like a Kwakoff and starting on the bench, they cover pretty much six to eight anyway. So that's fine. Um, my my counter suggestion is, you go six two and you go Pollard on the bench, but you start Esther Hazen over over DDA, and he's basically another forward just to get you forward dominance and just <laughs> smash. And then you bring on Pollard when the defense is tired to just take advantage. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Um, I think it's I mean, just too late. It's an idea. It's an idea, but it's a bit too late to try and implement that. I mean. I don't hate it I as love, an idea. I love the energy, but yeah, I don't think yeah. I can endorse it. <laughs> I mean, did you guys think that DDA did enough? Like, there's been question marks. I thought DDA over was brilliant. I thought he had his best game in years. Yeah, so, I, I thought mean, he was. Uh, he almost broke like three of their players. I thought he was himself, pretty good too, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was his like strongest game in a while. Um, yeah, so I think it would be super harsh to not have him at all. I can't see that happening. And I don't think Esther hasn't had the biggest game against Romania either. So, no, no, I, I think I think DDA, DDA is locked in there. I was surprised to see Creel getting a lot of heat. 
I didn't think Creel had a bad game. Um, I think that's just always going to happen with Creel. There's just too many people who don't like what he has to offer, including me to some extent, but I don't think he had a bad game. Um, look, he's not he's the kind just, of am, but we're not going to throw Moody in there. Exactly, exactly. So he's just the type of player who will give you a solid effort almost the whole, like, you know, almost always. Um, but he's not going to create magical tries like we've seen with, um, as you say. Unless he's playing Wales, which is fine. Um, hey, maybe we'll know, play them. Yeah, no. exactly. That's not our privilege yet. I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to say drop drop DDA and Creel and just go Esther Hazen and Moody in the centers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we'll pro- we'll probably see it against Tonga. Maybe they'll light it up and. I can only assume you're meaning just for this weekend, which is fine. <laughs> we'll give you that no, this weekend. I mean, so. all the way through. France got a final, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't even inter- entertain the thoughts. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, maybe if we'd started doing that six games ago, but it's far too late in the chain now. Um, I hear you. And also, what, like, I mean, we didn't didn't play badly. You know, like it's not like we need have a huge. Yeah, basket of errors we need to resurrect it. You know, we we created more try scoring chances and we had left eleven points on the field. Like they took all thirteen points that they had. That was it. I mean, if they kicked, right. kicked for poles instead of kicking for the corner, mm-hmm. then who knows? Probably in a very different game. But they made their baskets and then they fucked up six lineouts. Um, but maybe that's another talking point. I mean, we couldn't beat a team that couldn't win literally like half their lineouts, which is yeah. a bit worrying. Sure. Especially in that first half, it was just one point, one area where we were so dominant and needed to do more, needed to make more of it and come away with more points. So very frustrating. Do you guys think that uh, Dion Fury off the bench had a good impact? Or, I mean, it doesn't seem like Dweber's getting a call up, but yeah, are you happy? No, there was some, I think like that kind of showed the difference between a, a hooker and someone that's playing hooker. Like those two scrums, the early engagements and the skew lineouts. I mean, the skew line, I think was, was harsh. Um, but the, the doing two early shove scrums when you're dominant, like we didn't need to take that risk. Um, and I don't know if it's just like the bind was a bit loose or what the technical issue was there, but they were both after he came on and that's not a good sign. You know, that cost us a lot of the chance of us winning the game in those last five minutes, that skew throw and then the two um, two loss scrums. And JC fluffing the offload to see her. Yeah, that was silly. Um, but like, you know, that Just was... unnecessary. Yeah, it was completely unnecessary. I mean, why why on the first phase of it, like, it was just silly. But, um, you know, that's not a technical error. And like, I can guarantee you, JC's never going to do that again. Um, whereas the, there's there's something off with the scrum because he did it and then he did it again. Um, but yeah, Bongi coming. I mean, sorry, whoever coming in doesn't solve the problem because he also can't throw straight. So I'm not really no, sure. Yeah. That's enough. the point. We've, we've sort of this, this is our option. So <laughs> as much as we might not like it, I mean, I think we sort of stuck with it. I, I think playing um, starting over Dion Ferry would be problematic at this point like just after one ski throw and two early engagements i still think dion's got years of experience obviously 
at um, at high levels of rugby over in Staden. So that's got to be the option here. But but Bongi's got to play 70 minutes of every important game from here on out, basically. Yeah. Look, I mean, the good news is that they've got effectively three weeks to train this. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they've obviously will play now this week against Tonga and get some match practice. And then we have a week by and then we play probably France. You know, so and and scrumming with our team, like that's the one thing we can practice at the essentially match intensity. Um, so it's, yeah. it's it's something we should hopefully be able to fix. Because um, yeah, it is that you know that that's just a technical error, like a setup thing. Maybe it's over enthusiasm wanting to dominate the game, but yeah, yeah, uh, it's just so frustrating to have such dominance at the set piece at lineup and scrum time, just dominant in the tackle. And silly errors, and I mean, I don't want to be that Bach fan, but certainly some refing calls didn't go our way. I mean, the, the, uh, one, on the, sure. the one on the final whistle was absurd. I mean, Koch had the ball in his hands, and he blows that it. it's unplayable. And you're like, what? No, uh, it wasn't yeah, let alone, let alone the um, dodgy, like from the sides, from both their four and their from Phelan and the new uh, their four was burn, but like. Mm. You know, there was there was Irish guys all over our side of the ball. Um, yeah. I don't know how you didn't. You know, if anything, it should have been a penalty try because they were blatantly. You know, once we got that second shove on, it just yeah. magically collapsed right before the line. Um, you know, it's like that's should have had. There were a lot of things that needed looking at there that I don't think um, the Irish did particularly fairly, and the ref just didn't seem to be interested in blowing. But I think I mean, it was someone raised the point, and I have seen it before. Is that so much of our game re- relies on winning penalties, like at scrum and wall time, which is fine and that's great. But refs, we know, are really, really hesitant to give those big technical calls in the last couple of minutes. Like they don't want to blow a scrum penalty, they don't want to blow a collapsed wall try um, nice. in the last minute, where versus say like the fifth minute or the tenth minute. So. A lot of the time we're pushing for that. I think we did it in the second lines test. We did it now. We push for those technical infringement penalties and the refs just don't give it because they're not comfortable to. Um, and it's kind of maybe a fault in our game plan, relying on something that, that's just not likely to happen. Yeah, and even if we, like, if you go back to the Chasing the Sun documentary, like, we know how much effort they put into studying the refs and figuring out, like, exactly how they, you know, judge certain things and we talk to them before the match about what we're going to target. So it's not like we don't do the homework before the game, but like you say, refs don't want to be the one to decide a game by um, a call like that. So it's it's not ideal, but yeah. I mean, I have no issue with the game, that as a strategy, it's just that's not how you win the game in the at the death, you know? Yeah. And like maybe maybe it, it, it talks to another point that I think it was um, Victor or Mallet were raising, but saying that like if we are not backing our kicks and we've got this amazing lineup more, like we need to just back that from the tilt at the beginning. Um, and really just drive into the ref's head that we are the dominant team, force them to make errors, force them to potentially commit a yellow card. And then at the end of the game, if we still need to chase, you know, like whether we've got the scoreboard pressure or not, and I think maybe that was the problem here in Ireland is that we didn't um, didn't mm. put them under enough. We were dominant, but we didn't put them under goal line pressure in the first half because we kept going for poles. 
Um, whereas against New Zealand, we got we spent 20 minutes on their line and we didn't score, but we they cussed the other cards and we got in the ref's head. And then later That's in the game, we we get the pay for it, you know. Yeah, that's exactly it. It feels like the New Zealand game, exactly as you say, we, we had the same dominance that we had against Ireland. It's just it paid off against New Zealand and didn't against Ireland. And they find they found a way with our wayward kicking and, you know, a, a fancy bundy line break and nice little cross kick. And, you know, that was that. Uh, like, I, I, I wouldn't fear Ireland in the slightest if we met them again in the tournament that way. Oh, look, as I, said, I think it's different than the New Zealand game because I think there the, the tactics in the first 20 minutes were different. In the New Zealand game, we camped on their line. We kept going for touch instead of going for uh, poles. And that created that dominance that eventually let us stop, like, crush them scoreboard wise and say not. With Ireland, we didn't. You know, every time we got into their 22, we went for poles um, or turned over and stuff. Like, we just didn't get that same, like, goal and pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, I suppose this was your point, Andrew. You're not too concerned. I mean, it's interesting because we've said quite a lot of negative stuff, but at the end of the day, I think we're also pretty comfortable that we're better the side. We were the better side, and one or two things in terms of preparation or planning or ref errors go our way, uh, we win that game. So, you know, are you both pretty comfortable that the pop train hasn't derailed? We're still lining up well to defend our title. And, you know, if we beat um, anyone later in the game, we've got this. Yep. Yeah. From us, from my side, yep. I think uh, I don't want to tempt fate too much, but we, like Andrew said, we could very, very well see uh, South Africa Island repeat match, possibly in the final. So let's see what happens. Cool. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. Um, not to get too negative about it. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've spent a fair bit touching on that, and I think we've covered most of the things. There will be obviously be a lot of fallout. I think we must back up, um, give Paul a run this week, see how he's going. Um, I would still start Lebok in the quarterfinal, and then we can see what we want to do for a semi. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. But the next game that was played did have a bearing on a pool, which is Scotland Tonga. Um, this is where the math starts getting in, quite technical. But Scotland got a nice, comfortable bonus point win um, over Tonga, winning 45-17. They didn't have it all their way. Uh, it was, I think, the, the gap was only about seven points at one point when it was about 24-17. Um, also, a hugely physical game. The Tongans were crushing some some of the Scots, South African Scots. John van Berger saying that was the hardest he's ever been tackled, and he got genuinely monstered quite a few times um, but he did also you know kind of show why he's one of the uh, regarded as one of the best wings in the world with some really good touches I mean he still beat 14 defenders which is an insane amount when you run against Tonga so Scotland have kept their chances alive um, quickly running over the permutations if they beat Ireland uh, and don't let Ireland get a bonus point then South Africa, assuming we get five points against Tonga, we'll go through top of the pool, um, and Ireland will get knocked out because Scotland will beat them on the head-to-head. Um, if Scotland, if Ireland get a bonus point, then Scotland need a bonus point as well, and then it comes down to points difference between the three of us. And in which case, 
I think we should be safe and Scotland will probably lose out just because uh, Ireland had such big, big win, wins over Romania and Tonga and we've got the head-to-head against Scotland. So lots of interesting things to keep an eye on over the next two weeks, but what stood out for you in this game? Uh, Andrew, we'll throw it to you with our, our Scottish stand-in. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't get to watch the game, unfortunately, uh, with my travels, but I'm happy to see Scotland get a win and a, a good score on the board and I'll definitely be cheering them on uh, against the Irish. I think it's quite unlikely that they get a win and, and Ireland don't get at least a bonus point. So I'm not going to put any eggs in that basket. I mean, it's a mathematical permutation. Uh, but Scotland would be fantastic to go through. I just don't really see it happening. I think it's still going to be Springboks Ireland. Uh, yeah. I mean, a Scot- Scotland-France would be would be a great semi-final. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'd be very excited to see it happen. But yeah, it, it, look, it is unlikely, but it's nice to be able to support Scotland wholeheartedly. Um, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to, to that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, being able to cheer on Northern Hemisphere tries is, is a weird feeling, but um, you know, I was glad to do it. Yeah, if they could, if they could knock out the world number ones in the pool stages on our behalf, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Well, the only problem is then you're going to get Ben Smith saying that, oh, yeah, we won the World Cup without beating the world number ones again, like we did after the World Blacks. That's okay. We can cry cry into the Webellers Cup. I mean, exactly. (laughs) Look, yeah, that's not going to stop us being happy to win. Like, we can beat, uh, you know, seven, eighth, and ninth teams in the world, and I'll still be happy to win the World Cup. Yeah, no, that that is very fair. it just would be nice to like do it without an asterisk for a change. Because 2007, obviously, and 2011 have mi- minor asterisks. Uh, 2007, probably more so than 2011, but uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the point stands. Um, cool. But yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Scotland as, as a whole played pretty well. Uh, Dylan van der Merwe looked really good. Um, Finn Russell still looks a bit quiet, in my opinion. I don't think he's hitting the same kind of incredible world-beating form we expect of him. Um, but King Orn wrote, wrote some really nice lines, particularly towards the end of the game once he kind of got into it. Um, Hugh Jones was good once he came on the field. Uh, their forwards are just meh, because I don't rate them that much. Um, but it was cool to see, sorry, not cool to see, but it was interesting seeing the uh, the discussion, the result of the head-on-head collision, um, or shoulder-head collision with um, uh, Jamie Ritchie. Uh, he obviously went off for an HIE. He didn't come back to the field, so he's probably out of the next game against Romania at the least. Um, and that was deemed to stay a yellow card and not a great red. I think that was probably the right decision. They were both pretty bent at the waist. Um, but yeah, it's one of those marginal ones that really could have gone either way. Um, when I looked at it, I was like, there's probably enough mitigation to define it if they want to, but it's and it's kind of coming down to now how how much mitigation are risk looking for. Yeah, I, I also think just enough mitigation. I, like you said, could have gone either way, but you can understand the decision. And um, yeah, as a yellow, it's okay. But I think because Bayer Fafita got a red rat, so he'll probably be suspended. And that could be a big one for the Springbok yeah. match. So hopefully, you know, 45-17 is a relatively big margin. I... I don't know, but I, I, I like to think that the Springboks can, you know, do a bit more, especially now that we know 
Like we need a big result. Yeah. Now the pressure will be on to go out and score big. Um and, and we'll be playing our, our B team that, that can score big. So you know, I imagine imagine we'll do it. Um, although the last time we played Tonga in a pool at the World Cup, they they did um put us on a lot more pressure than we were hoping for. So maybe maybe we won't be too too cocky. Yeah. Um but cool. I think we can now come down to the shockingest results of the weekend. Um, definitely the one that, yeah, surprisingly, like we all thought the, the talking points were going to come out of South Africa, um, Ireland, obviously the kind of top billing game. But we knew that the, the Wales-Australia game was going to be, you know, certainly was expecting to be as competitive, you know, theory also deciding who's going to make it out that pool. Uh, well, at least Australia were playing to stay in the pool. Um yeah, and that did not go to plan. Um, the shitty little country of three million people overturning Australia. Just to caveat, those aren't my words, uh, although I don't feel hugely dissimilar to them. Um, those are Eddie Jones's words. Uh, and yeah, what to do now? Where where do Australia go? <laughs> apart from, apart from home. Apart from home. Yeah. <laughs> Well, first, like you said, they need to play Portugal. But after a performance like that, where you know you're not going to make it through because Fiji are going to win their game uh, and join Wales in the quarterfinals, almost, you know, almost probably, that means they have to get up for one more match and they must be feeling the worst right now. I mean, we saw the pictures at the end of half time, I mean, at the end of full time, like the players crying, just looking really, really despondent. So. They have to go and play one more match, and it's going to be hard for them. Like you said, Portugal maybe, maybe have a tiny chance. Probably, you think even this Australian team won't fall that low, but this was just the most disappointing Australian performance probably that I've ever seen. Like, Wales were, I think you said, and Wales didn't pull up trees. They weren't amazing. There were a couple of good performances from usual suspects like Jack Morgan. Um, Anscombe, when he came off the bench early, was really, really good. But just so bad from Australia. Like, in the first half, they were in it, but score, scoreboard line, scoreboard, they were not. They didn't take their points. They went for tries and just messed up their lineouts. Everything was going wrong, and the team just looked so poor. I can't even imagine being an Australian fan. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, there's a lot of people have kind of said it, your brother included, being like, it kind of, like, I, I just feel sorry for Australia. Like, you know, we always, you know, we kind of like to rag on each other. We, sporting-wise, South Africa and Australia have walked a long road with cricket and rugby, and it's always been some, you know, not not quite friendly banter and antagonism. Um, but, you know, you, they, you kind of respect them in, in a way. As a, as a rival and equal, and now to see them fall so far, like it, it's really, it's really like you feel. As I said I feel, I feel sorry for them, and like I, I can't imagine how the imagine being an Aussie supporter that booked tickets to the World Cup, you know, months ago, years ago, um, and then Eddie comes in, starts doing some stupid shit, like drops his captains, drops his most experienced players, fires his coaches, and you're like. Okay, this is not going well. And then just turns out performances like that. Like, I would be so angry. Like, what did you pay all that money for? Like, what do you... Yeah, as a fan, you must just feel betrayed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been absolutely nightmare for the Wallabies. And I 
there's any any consolation here at all. Uh, I mean, Eddie Jones said, yeah, we took a, a young squad and they'll learn from this. But I think what he's just done is like scarred the next generation of Wallabies. Um, he's taken all these young guys and now they all they know is these <laughs> nightmares of a World Cup performance. Uh, and it's it's going to be difficult to get over that and you know move forwards like a guy. Yeah, like Carter Gordon, for instance. I mean, he had a couple of good games before the World Cup, but he's been absolutely nowhere this tournament. And there's just that that Aussie squad is littered with guys that have played almost no rugby, and and World Cup's been a large chunk of their international careers, and they're absolute like clowns and, and rejects now <laughs> back home. It's it's rough, and like you hey. say, you don't want to you don't want to kick a dog while it's down. So you feel bad, feel bad like talking about it too much almost. <laughs> But it's, I mean, it's literally what Eddie said. Like, when he came in, he said, like, this team has got a losing mindset and I need to come in and reverse that. And, like, that was kind of why I was arguing. I, I mean, I was, not that he's ever come out and said it, but you kind of assume that that's kind of what he was, why he got rid of guys like Cooper and Cooper, because they maybe you know, were too used to losing. And all he's done is come in and just give a whole bunch of new kids that experience of losing, and that's all <laughs> they've ever known. And in the process, he's taken guys like Kellaway and started them and then just dropped them. Taking guys like Carter Gordon, be like, "Cool, you're the man," and then he has one dodgy, dodgy game, and then he drops him for a guy that doesn't even have a super rugby contract, um, and then that guy just gets yanked off with 60 minutes blitz. So that's like make up some consistency. You know, you, you not only are you losing games, but you're also messing around with players like headspaces. You know, how's a guy like Carter Gordon meant to trust a coach saying that he's got his backing fully going like after this when he was told that and then just ditched? Yeah, I mean, we you can go back to, you know, our podcast of when they made this decision, and we I think we were all against it. Um, Dave Rennie was so up and down with the results, but generally, I think the performances, you know, were there, and there were some really good ones. With under Eddie Jones, it's, you know, they they beat Portugal, but that's pretty much it this whole year, right? Um, this loss, the magnitude of this loss, it wasn't even close, and just looking like there was no plan. So I, I I just don't understand so many things that happened. And yeah, pretty much all the worst things that could have happened happened, including all the bad decisions which Eddie Jones made. So I, he'll, he's going to have to fall on the sword, surely. Yeah, but I mean, even then, like, who comes in after Eddie now? Like, they bring Dan McKellar back? I mean, it's, yeah. it's like... He, He's the only option. He's only just started at Leicester. So, like, would he come? I mean, it's it's sure. Like, yeah, is so it, keeping Eddie now and making him sleep in his own bed actually just the best option? I, I mean, it, it sounds does, crazy, but it might just be. It, it like, seems like the problem is to walk, uh, talk, talk. Yeah, it seems like the problem is actually above Eddie, right? So, like, there's problems in the boardroom. There's problems with the whole of Rugby Australia. So maybe. This sort of abject failure, which they've never experienced in a World Cup before, it's going to force them to have to rebuild everything, get rid of some people at the top. And, you know, they're hosting the next World Cup. They know that that's a big one. So hopefully that's enough time to rebuild in four years all the way from the bottom, just be able to build something out of nothing. But it wasn't that what happened with the last World Cup where they got knocked out in the quarters, you know, getting drilled by Eddie Jones in the quarters and like 
that's when they brought in UCOs and brought in Dave Rennie to rebuild the whole thing. And it's just like they went through this last time. And obviously, it wasn't quite as, as bottom, but it was pretty close. And, you know, not only, I mean, they got a World Cup in four years, they got the Lions to in two years. You know? So, it's not, <laughs> yeah. not actually that much time. This is true. Yeah. Shit. Uh, no, you, that's a fair point. And I don't know what to say. Yeah. This is just, it's, it's their making. They've just fucked things up beyond belief. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, I think the point about the boardroom is fair. And, and I think one thing that is important to notice, you know, if you, as you say, if you look at the players' faces at full time, like you can't fault them. Like they're, trying as hard as they can they've just i think like had all the you know floorboards ripped up from underneath them any ability that they had to perform was was removed uh, or not provided to them you know they got no platform in which to win a world cup game basically yeah well, i mean some of them just shouldn't have been there full stop uh, you can't fault them for not trying their best but they weren't the best players. He just made some terrible rugby decisions in his squad selections, and that also can't be <laughs> taken away. It's not the players' fault that they weren't the right players. It was the selectors, basically Eddie, that decided to take them with. A guy like Ben Donaldson was not not World Cup ready. A guy like Josh Kemeny, you know, Will Skelton being made captain, and then how many games did he actually captain? Like it's just been an absolute mess in rugby terms. And that that has to be Eddie's fault, as you say. You don't you don't want to fault the players, but they just weren't the right players in some instances. I mean, like Vinavali. Yeah. Why Vinavali. was he continually back? You know, why is he coming off the bench um, to close the game? Like, which other team has a wing on the bench? Like, no, no teams because you don't put wings on the bench. Anyway, whatever. Um, we can rant about Eddie Jones making stupid decisions for a long time. I think. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's sad to see Australia uh, being in such a dark hole, as I said. Um, and yeah, but at the other hand, it does open the door for Fiji, which is exciting. So Fiji are going to go through, and most likely looking like they're lining up against England. Um, can Fiji mm-hmm. beat England t- t- two games in a row? They definitely can. Um, uh, will they? It depends. I think it depends a lot on on whether they select Marcus Smith at fullback. <laughs> yeah, which England which, which England pitches up. <laughs> uh, but really, it could go either way. If, if Fiji play to the best of their ability, then definitely even you know a good England performance will struggle a lot. So let's hope that Fiji just keep on improving every game and put in a really good performance in the quarterfinal, and we'll see from there. If it's in England. Uh... Fiji quarterfinal. Who are you supporting? I mean, I'm supporting England, but you know, uh, yeah. What can I say? Okay, I just wanted to to see where, like, <laughs> your, your love of fairy tales, your love of England. Which one goes deeper? Well, England winning this World Cup does that count as a fairy tale? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's that's beyond reality. That, that's that's <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, okay, well, I mean, it is it is late now on a Monday night, and you know we probably not the worst time to to end on a fairy tale note. Um, so yeah, we can probably leave it there. Uh, thoughts go out to um, Australian fans, supporters, players. Uh, thoughts go out to the South African team who are going to get absolutely drilled for the next three weeks, I imagine. 
Um, but yeah, hopefully it'll just lead him to come back stronger. Um, I think that's all we need to say tonight. Uh, cheers, have a good weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. Bye.